So there's been a lot of talk and a lot of fear going around about the uh, coronavirus, right? And if you say, what's the coronavirus? Well, it's not the same thing as the Budweiser virus. <laughs> um, it's a, a virus much like the flu that comes out of China. Well, really, it doesn't come out of China. It comes from the devil, but they, they discovered it in China. I guess he was over there doing something. And... Um, so there's a lot of fear in the news and a lot of people are concerned about it and, and what do we do and it's, you know, it, it has spread rapidly and, and it has garnered a lot of attention and, and stirred up a lot of fear. So here's how you stay safe and secure from the coronavirus and any other virus, the flu, or anything else that would come knocking at your door. Um, in our sermons we've been talking about being redeemed from the curse of the law. And that sermon series morphed into another sermon series that we're doing on the power of the tongue. You see, part of being redeemed from the curse of the law, and by the way, in case you weren't here for those series, we established from Scripture what all every one of those curses were, and it covered every sickness known to mankind. Okay, so they're all a part of the curse. I don't care if we just discovered it or if it was known about long ago. All those sicknesses are part of the curse. And so one of Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law is what Galatians tells us. But then we know that there's requirements of us. We must believe it. We must declare it. We have to... The biggest way to be a doer of the Word, the number one way, I should say, of being a doer of the Word is you must speak it. Say what He said about you. And so, let's go look at Psalms 91 in light of any sickness that's going around. Or any coronavirus or any other virus. Psalms 91, and I'm going to read it and uh, just comment real quickly as we read down through it. In verse 1 says, The one who lives under the protection of the Most High, or the word lives, it's, it's the one who sits or, or the one who dwells. It means you're staying put. The one who stays there. The one who, who dwells, the one who lives in that secret place, in the safe place, in, under the protection of the Most High, dwells in the shadow of the Almighty. Now verse 2 is the key verse in all of it. The writer says, I will say. He didn't say, I will think. He said, I will say. And what is it that he is saying and to whom is he saying it? He says, I will say to the Lord. Oh, okay. What are you saying to the Lord? My refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He himself will deliver me from the hunter's net. And he goes on and, and says all the things the Lord is going to do for him. Now the key is, he believes it, and he's saying it. Alright? Those are the two steps that you're going to take to be free of any kind of virus. Now, now listen, here's all the, the blessings that come because of that declaration. 
He Himself, that'd be God Himself, will deliver you from the hunter's net. That's the hidden place. That's the hidden danger. They, you cannot study enough and know enough and do enough research to know about the hidden thing because you don't know about it. Right? So you can't even find out about that one. Germs are hidden things. Right? They, they hide. You don't see them with your naked eye. He will deliver you from the hunter's net, from the destructive plague. He will cover you with His feathers. You will take refuge under His wings. His truth, His faithfulness will be a protective shield. You will not fear the, the terror of the night, the arrow that flies by day, the, the coronavirus that stalks in the darkness. It says plague, but... The plague that stalks in the darkness or the pestilence that ravages at noon. Whether it's day or night, doesn't matter. You're not going to fear it. Verse 7, though a thousand fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, the pestilence will not reach you. Someone say, it will not reach me. Yeah. As pastor of this house, it's not going to reach this house. It's just not permitted. Verse 8, you will only see it with your eyes and witness the punishment of the wicked. Because, listen, here's verse 9. This is because of verse 2 where he says, I will say, because you have made the Lord my refuge, the Most High, your dwelling place. No harm will come to you. No plague will come near your tent. For He, that would be God, will give His angels orders concerning you to protect you in all your ways. They will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. <coughs> you will tread on the lion and the, and the cobra. You will trample the young lion and the serpent. We know the devil is called the dragon, the serpent. So him and all his young lions he sends out, we're going to just trample over them. You know how to trample over, over the devil? Find a sick person, lay hands on them, and just declare life and health over them and into them. Take back the territory. Verse 14, because, here it is again, because of verse 2. Because he is lovingly devoted to me, this is the Lord's declaration, I will deliver him. I will exalt him because he knows my name. When he calls out to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and give him honor. I will satisfy him with a long life and show him my salvation. The person that does verse 1 and 2. The person that dwells in the secret place. The person that recognizes Lord. He's my Lord. Right? He's my refuge. He's my strong tower. He's my deliverer. He protects me. He has assigned angels to protect me. And you say that, and I say that over all of you. And so then we can go on about our daily life. No fear of the enemy. No fear of any viruses or sicknesses. Not worried. Not scared. But living boldly. Unafraid. Full of love. Acting in love. Right? Okay, who can say amen? amen? All right, we've already this morning been talking about the power of our mouth 
And like in Psalms 91, about there's certain things we should say if we want to live a, uh, a healed, delivered, victorious life. In Proverbs 18 is, is our text scripture for this series. And let's look in verse... Let's begin reading in verse 20. It says, From the fruit of a man's... I'm sorry. From the fruit of his mouth, a man's stomach is satisfied, and he is filled with the products of his lips. What you say is what you'll have, providing that you are saying what you believe and saying what he says. Who is he? Our daddy. What he, ha- what he has said or what He has given you to say. Now, it also works on the other side of it if you believe, if you say, I'm always sick and tired and I'm always broke and have nothing. Well, I assure you that's what you have and are. Because you're probably, I mean, if that's what you're experiencing and that's what you're saying, you're saying it from a heart of belief as fact, right? And we talked about how that we can say things as they are or we can call things into existence that are not. And we'll talk about that a little bit more as we go. Verse 21, life and death are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. And, uh, I guess verse 22 is also a good verse. Let's just read it. <laughs> it says, a man who finds a wife finds a good thing. It's the only time I can get away with calling her a thing. And obtains favor from the Lord. Alright, so some of you, even you young ones, come on, even you young ones that are way too young to get married, there's a day coming that you're going to find a spouse. Right? So just start using your words. When the time is right, I'm going to have a God-fearing, God-loving spouse. Right? The power of the tongue. Before I go into review, well, let me ask this. How many, how many heard last week's message, either were here or heard it online? Let's see your hands. Okay, let's do it the other way around. Who did not hear last week's message? Okay, so we have a, a few. All right, so the Lord will forgive you for that, but you have to ask Him. No, uh, really... In order to hear today correctly, you need to have context, right? So last week, um, the context will help you. If you go online, you can listen to that. Um, before we go further, just for the sake of refreshing, um, what did we learn last week? Because maybe I just need to preach that message over again. Let's see. What did we learn last week? Power of the tongue, power of our words, speak life, anything in particular. I mean, that's pretty generic over the last three, four weeks. Idle words, examining our hearts, being self-deceived, judged by our words, judged by what we say. Words reveal in in you. Words reveal whether the Spirit of God is in you. 
Words reveal what's in your heart over here with something. Heart and mouth. Anything else? Judged for our careless words, our empty or idle words. Don't be a parrot. Don't be a parrot. Say again. Be quick to change. Like an adjective. Yeah. <laughs> Don't use God's name in vain. It cheapens it, right? Yes. Here, grab, uh, make sure it's on, though. Press and hold the button. Okay. So, the first day in, she's a 32 year old teacher. And she, you know, if you want to swear, I can handle that. But she used the Lord's name in vain several times. And I was like, oh. So all week I'm like, I didn't say anything to my family. Um, I was like, I'm dropping the class. I'm dropping the class, you know. But I have to remember why I'm in school, too, because I'm a testimony to God. Um, So I went and talked to one of my other professors who, I think I turned it off. Anyway, I went and talked to one of my other professors, and she watched me, like, I know that I can't drop the class because God told me I can't drop the class. So I went to my professor, and I took her calmly, and I said, you know, if you want to swear, I don't have issues with that. I said, but when you use the Lord's name in vain, I said, I'm offended. And I would appreciate you not doing that. And she couldn't understand. She's like, what did I say? And I'm like, well, this is what you said. And she said, I can't promise that I won't because it's not how I, I don't say it to offend you. But I will do my best to be respectful. And that's what it is. If someone says something that you don't like, don't back down, you know. And, I, and we got to share, you know. Everybody else in the world, they're going to tell you what they think and all this. But if we go with a heart of love and share, you know, and I was able to do that. And then she used it as an example in Wednesday in class. And I went, wow, you know. But, in all, you know, but that's how we got to operate, you know. If we're going to change the world a person at a time, we got to stand for what we believe in. So anyway, I didn't drop the class. And she's an excellent teacher. Outside of her mouth. But, you know, hey, I had a mouth at one point, too, and I have to remember that I use those things, too. So, you know, um, it's like this. You know, who am I to go like this? And I got these three coming back at me. Anyway, I just wanted to share that. But the words that we speak are powerful, and when we are bold enough to share um, with someone, and, you know, who knows? You know, but pray for her, and God's going to change her life and her family. That's right. They don't, they don't use the Lord's name and name in my office no more. See, to some people, it's just an adjective. Yet the people, those same people, if you find someone that they really think highly of, they don't use their name as an adjective. And uh, someone last week, or just this week, I mean, asked, um, oh, I'd like to uh, listen to some of your sermons. What's your website, you know? And so I gave them our website. A little while later, they text me and said, oh, Billy Graham, that was great. <laughs> <clears throat> because I use Billy Graham's name as the illustration, right? right. 
and uh, it was quite funny. So those of you that were not with us, you'll just have to, again, context matters, right? And um, so I had asked the question for several weeks in a row is, is uh, we asked the question, are the words that we speak, are they important? And does, do our words matter? And we looked at, <clears throat> excuse me, being judged and justified by the words we speak. And so let's, let's um, in a two-minute review, let's look at Matthew 12. And this is where we based that out of, and then we looked at other examples and stories. But in Matthew 12, and we'll refer back to um, our words, you know, working for us, being judged or justified by our words for the rest of this series. <clears throat> Matthew 12 and verse 33. Jesus says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. What kind of tree is that? Well, it's got apples on it, so it must be an apple tree. Right? You identify the fruit. The other day, walking through Charleston, Gene and I are walking and I see this tree and it looks like grapefruit on the tree. And I said, what kind of fruit is that? Gene looks and he goes, I think it's grapefruit. I said, yeah, it looks like it. What were we doing? Well, we were identifying the tree based on the fruit that it had available. And so, in the same way, Jesus had, had formerly said, you know, um, that by your fruit you will know them. So we're to look for fruit. Verse 34, brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil? You know, good things don't come out of a rattlesnake's mouth. Right? Poison comes out of his mouth. And it's just best to stay away from its mouth entirely. For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. So what's your heart full of? What's it overflowing of? That's what you're going to say. As a man thinketh, so is he. Why is he? Because he speaks what he thinks. So guard your mind. Scripture tells us we are to take every thought captive to the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why would we do that? Because thoughts can turn into words which can turn into actions which turn into destiny. Verse 35. A good man produces good things from the storeroom of his heart, and an evil man produces evil things from his storeroom of evil. I tell you that on the day of judgment, there will be that day coming, on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless or idle, or the word means useless or inactive, every inactive word they speak. For by your words you will be acquitted or justified or found righteous and by your words you will be condemned and that's what we looked at last week I've said several times there are three kinds of confession so let's look at um, let's go over to Proverbs 10 and we're going to turn to a whole bunch of scriptures so um, I, I welcome you to, to turn with me if if you are slow at finding scriptures maybe you just want to uh, look up at the screen or go to every other one. And in Proverbs 10, I don't have all of them 
uh, markers in my Bible, so it's going to probably take me a little bit longer than usual to find them, so you may have time. Proverbs 10, in, in verse 19, it says, we're going to talk about idle words. Now, idle words, let me just remind you, idle words are words that are useless, words that are not filled with any power, words that are neither good nor bad, they're just sitting there idling, going nowhere. All of us are guilty of that. Now, idle words, we're just going to have to answer for those words. Let's say it a different way. You're going to have to answer for what your words did or did not do. Words are containers. And every word is a container that holds something within it. Some of those containers are just empty. There's just nothing. And so we're going to have to give an account for here's what these words did. Here's where these just sat and did nothing. This is works. This is not salvation-based judgment. This is works. However, that being said, salvation is based upon your words. In Romans 10, it says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, right? That's how you're saved. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So, with the heart one believes, and with the mouth one confesses, resulting in salvation. With the heart one believes, resulting in righteousness. With the mouth one speaks, one declares, and it results in salvation. So we know that your words, those are the containers, and they carry within them salvation. Salvation is in your mouth. Salvation comes from your mouth. You being saved or not saved is determined by the words that you speak. So in that way, your words determine salvation. But what we're talking about here is idle words and and on judgment day, we're talking about a judgment of works. What did your words work do? Were they useful words or were they not useful words? You know, in Ephesians it says your words are supposed to minister grace to the one that's hearing them. What is grace? It's God's ability helping you do something you could not do on your own. Grace is God enabling you. So your words are supposed to be containers that carry God's enablement. Right? Okay. So here, in now we're talking about useless, empty containers. In verse 19 of Proverbs 10... When there are many words, sin is unavoidable. Where there is a lot of talk, then there's sin. Where someone is just yak, 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 you know sin is there. It doesn't mean that you need to go, hey, you're a sinner. But you know they are, what is sin? It's missing the mark. That's where the word comes from. It was an archery term. They would shoot arrows at the bullseye, and if they missed the mark, that was called sin. They missed the mark. So, when you hear lots of talk, 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 or if you are given to a lot of talk, 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 it says sin is unavoidable. You can't avoid it. Let's go to chapter 17, verse 27.
the intelligent person restrains his words. Doesn't just speak unadvisedly, just go off, you know. The one who keeps a cool spirit, or this translation says head, the one who keeps a cool head is a man of understanding. Even a fool is considered wise when he keeps silent, discerning when he seals his lips. You want people to think you're wise? Just shut up. Or open your mouth and remove all doubt about the fool part. Even a fool. You might be a fool, right? Even if you're one, you can just shut up and people will think you got it together. Now, there's been times I've been sitting there completely ignorant of our topic of conversation, just keeping my mouth shut, listening, and someone turns to me and says, what do you think about that? Don't ask me. They'll still go on thinking I'm wise, right? Instead of me opening my mouth and showing them, I don't know anything about that. Let's go to uh, Ecclesiastes 5. It's better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. That's like a famous quote from... It's been attributed to a number of different people, so... Ecclesiastes 5. I just heard a sneeze and a bless you. You know, that's very popular in our culture, right? People sneeze and... You do that on an airplane right now, people may move further away. Especially when you say, I just came from China. (laughs) But normally, a sneeze will bring a bless you, even when you're in a crowd of, of unbelievers. But you and I are believers. So when we say it, are we meaning it? Or are we just, is it something we say to fill the awkward after sneeze moment? Something to consider. Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 2 says, Do not be hasty to speak. You know, Proverbs tells us to be quick to hear. James tells us to be quick to hear, slow to speak. Quick to hear, quick to listen, but slow on the talking end. Why is that? The most deadly member is one of the smallest members of the body, is the tongue. Man, so much damage can be done with it. And people just go off. Something triggers them and man, they explode out of the mouth and go off. I mean, I've done this. And I know some of you have too. Man, finally the last button got pushed and that was the release button. And man, just let them have it. Not to you guys. Not, no, I wouldn't do that to you. But my family, right? My children, finally, I've had enough. And just give it to them. But see, a wise person doesn't do that. So what do we do when we, when we all of a sudden catch ourselves in the middle of verbal barrage of words that should not be spoken? Just stop. Say, I'm sorry. I'm speaking like a crazy person. 
I take those words back. In fact, I'm going to say the right things. And then you speak life and speak truth in love. Okay, it may be correction, but it can be truth and it can be love. Yeah, that's a bunny trail in and of itself. Come back, Sid. Stay on task. Empty words, idle words. All right. Do not be hasty to speak and do not be impulsive to make a speech before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. For dreams result from much work and a fool's voice from many words. If you're dreaming a lot, maybe it's because you're too busy. But if you're hearing a lot of yak, 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 what can you know about them? Fool. I didn't say it. Scripture did. How can you tell when someone's a fool? By their many words. So that's none of us, right? We speak wisely and advisedly. Some of you don't look too confident. You know, the beginning for you to get out of that rut is to say, yes, that's not me. I speak with wisdom. I consider my words when I speak. I don't answer without considering first. Some of you like it. Some of you are thinking this would have been a good morning to sleep in. You know, Proverbs 14.23, you don't need to turn there, I'll just quote it to you. It says, there is profit in all hard work, but endless talk leads only to poverty. Empty talk, endless talk. We would say today, they're all talk and no action. All talk and no action. They talk a big game, they have a big bark, bark but there's no bite. Right? So, lots of talk just leads to poverty. So we're going to be swift to hear, slow to speak. A fool, Proverbs says, a fool answers before he's heard the whole matter. Man, I've done that. You know, you hear something, you think you know what they're going to say, so you just go ahead and finish it in your mind and interrupt and say, yeah, but this and then that isn't what they were saying. And so that's where you humble yourself and you say, I'm sorry. I will let you finish. That's idle, empty, useless words. And we're going to have to answer for even those. It would make sense to you and I that we're going to have to answer for words of death that we speak. Right? That makes sense. And it would even make sense that the Lord's going to mention to us the words of life that we've spoken. Say, hey, remember how you spoke this over here? This is, you didn't see it, but this is what it created. And it would make sense that the Lord's going to talk to us about that. But those words that just laid empty and dormant and useless, and, and those words are the words that we have to remind ourselves of. Those are going to require an explanation as well. So the wise man guards his lips and doesn't just go off half-cocked. Some people, they need to hear themselves talk a whole lot more than you need to hear them. <laughs> Have you ever been in a conversation like that? Some love the sound of their own voice. 
Don't be that person. If you are that person, you can change. You can stop. You can speak with wisdom. All right, let's look at the second type of confession, death confession. These are faith-filled words to the negative. Words that have faith, or you could say doubt, but they're words that are confident of a future without God. Did you know doubt, and when you declare doubt, when you speak doubt, that is a form of atheism? It's imagining a future where God is not. I don't know if we're going to make it. Imagining a future where God is not. I don't know. I I just don't think it's possible. Imagining a future where God is not. Because God's with God, all things are possible, right? So faith is imagining a future where God is the solution and the answer. And faith speaks. Faith declares. Faith says, here's how it's going to be. And believes and imagines a future where God has got this. He is the answer to this. Romans 4.17 So words that are idle and dead and now words that actually bring death. Romans 4 and verse 17 talking of Abraham and let's, let's go back to verse 16. It says, this is why the promise, this is talking about the promise that was, well, let's just read it. This is why the promise is by faith, so that it may be according to grace, to guarantee to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also those who are of Abraham's faith. So the promise is to you and I, it was to them back then, it is... Um, by faith, we receive what God said by faith, and it is according to His ability to us. He helps us with this. And it goes on and says, He is the Father of us all, talking of Abraham, the Father of faith, in God's sight. As it is written, I have made you the Father of many nations. He believes, remember, the story of Abraham, he had no children. God names him, his name was Abram. And God renamed him Abraham. The word Abraham means father of many nations. So now Abraham is introducing himself as the father of many nations and he has no kids. Power of your words. Remember, your words create. Now he didn't go off and come up with this on his own. These were God-filled containers that he's coming out of his mouth. Right? So he goes on and says, He believed in God who gives life to the dead and calls things that be not though they were, as though they were, or calls things into existence that do not exist, is how this translation says it. So God is a God that calls things that be not as though they be. For example, we talked about this. When he created the world, he said, light be. Even though there was no light, light immediately was. And he did not stand and say, wow, it's dark. What are we going to do with all this darkness? It's really dark. Gabriel, we really need some light in here. I mean, how can we see to do anything else because there's no light? This is a problem. We've got a lot of darkness. 
No, he didn't just speak what was, but he called things into existence that were not. Light, be, and there was light. That's the kind of God. He says, Father of many nations, and there wasn't a bang and smoke, and as the smoke rolled away, there was a gazillion people as his, Abraham's descendants. It took time. Those descendants are still being built and added to. It took time. But you know what that means? That means that what God called into existence, the thing that was not, is still working in the earth. Still happening. So if that promise of God is still standing, is still operating, is still being fulfilled, then all the other promises of His are still standing, are still operating, are still being fulfilled. Let's go to uh, Proverbs. Back to Proverbs. Proverbs 10 again. Words of life, words of death. We answered the question, are our words important? We agreed, yes they are. And so now we're looking at different types of word containers. Words that are, containers that are empty, containers that are full of of good things, of life. Containers that bring death and destruction. Just remember, Jesus said, I am the life. I have come to give life and to give it abundantly. He is the container presenter of life. And on the other side of it, he said the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. If that's what your words are doing, where are those words coming from? Where are they inspired from? Proverbs 10 verse 11 says, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence conceals violence. Look over to um, chapter... I'm sorry, I, I'm in the wrong chapter. I'm, I'm way ahead of myself. I'm talking about life. Let's go to chapter 6. Proverbs 6 and verse 2. 6 and 2 says, You are trapped by the words of your lips and snared by the words of your mouth. That's a container of death. You're, you're trapped by the words of your lips. You spoke it and now you have it. Every year during flu season, we get the flu. Have you ever heard of that? In fact, we have multiple rounds of it through our house. I mean, people say this kind of stuff. And you know what happens? Every year they get the flu. They have multiple rounds of it in their house. You've heard stuff like that, right? I'm not the only one who's heard those things. So what are you trapping yourself with? You can have what you say. Jesus said, if you speak to the mountain, don't doubt in your heart, but believe that what you say, right? That you can have whatsoever you say. He says, if you say to the mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, that you'll have it if you believe it and if you say it. So if you believe that I'm going to get the flu every year, then you're going to get the flu every year. And if you say it, if you did not, that would make Jesus a liar. 
that you could actually say something, believe it, and have it. And people think that, no, I'm just speaking to what has been happening. Well, then say it that way. Every year in my past, I have gotten the flu. However, this year, I'm not going to have it. You know, our children, um, three years ago, Carson was diagnosed with diabetes. Notice I did not say he has diabetes. Last June, our youngest daughter was diagnosed by the doctors with diabetes. But I call things that be not as though they be. See, I say, I look back to the cross and I say, no, by His stripes, they're healed. So that means they're free of diabetes. And it's difficult because people will always want to know, how are your children? Especially unbelievers. How are your children? You know, how's their diabetes? Now, now, I don't have to tell them that because I know that. Their ignorance and foolish talk is just, I don't have to be the la- have the last say after their words because their words carried no effect on them anyway. I mean, some of you need to get a hold of this. You ever see kids that are trying to have the last say? It's this way. No, it's that way. No, it's this way. No, it's that way. Why do they do that? Because they think the last one to speak is how it's going to go. They don't realize that they have the authority over them with their mouth. And they don't need to say it two and three times. They can say it once. The other person can say what they want. You're a draft. No, I'm not. Yeah, you're a draft. I'm not either. You're a draft. Mom, he said I'm a draft. My response is, why are you? No. Well, then why are you whining about it? Right? And this is not an actual illustration about a draft, but it makes my point. And so, for you guys, if, if someone says, comes up and says, oh, your children have diabetes, I'm not going to stand here and go and have an argument with them. Their words carry no effect on my children. You can say that about them. Your words carry no effect on my children. My words carry effect and their words carry effect. Because I'm their authority. And so don't get into this whole, hey, could you take back that confession about me? Come on, you have that little faith in your own words? In your declaration? No, you say how it is about you. Don't worry about what they say. So when people want to know and they inquire, you know, I frame my words to speak as to the past always. If you ever come up and say, um, you know, have they been to the doctor recently? I'm going to tell you, well, this is what the doctors say. This is what the doctors said. That's their report. Because see, I'm believing the report of the Lord. Well, what do you, let, let's make it a little more personal. We have to close. Let's, let's make it um, more personal. Let's say that you have pain in your shoulder. Okay? And you've, you've strained your shoulder and you're believing God for your shoulder to be healed. But it's still hurting. You've been saying the right things. You've prayed. You've asked the Lord to touch and heal your shoulder. But it's still hurting. You still can't, you know, lift it up above your head or whatever. And so um, someone walks up and says, how's your shoulder? 
you can acknowledge there's pain there. It, it, it's hurting right now. But you know what? I know that my shoulder's being renewed and is becoming stronger every day because the Lord said that I'm healed. And you can call those things that be not. You can say, I'm the heel of the Lord. And go ahead and just lift up in faith that you're the heel of the Lord. That's how miracles happen. You've got to put action to it. You've got to reach in faith. Peter didn't walk in the water until he stepped in faith. And so, you're not going to say, even though you're shoulders like hurting and you're sweating because there's so much pain you're not going to say there's no pain that makes you a liar but what you're going to do is speak to the future starting here now I am the heel of the Lord because he said so I am whole and full of life and I call my shoulder full of life and health I call my, my muscles and ligaments strong and full of life and health and there's some pain that I'm, that I'm overcoming even as we speak. Are you understanding how this... You don't have to feel like, well, I'm lying. No, you call things that be not as though they be into existence. Take a hold of it. Faith is the vehicle. Uh, I heard a friend of mine say this week that faith is the vehicle that brings from the invisible into the visible, right? It brings from the unseen into the seen realm. And so you, you speak with your mouth intentionally what you believe the Lord has done for you. Not what you believe is currently experienced. No, what you believe the Lord has already done for you. You know, the Lord already healed me. Oh really? So you're, you're, you're throwing rocks, skipping rocks again? I believe so. Last time I tried was pretty difficult. Oh, when was that? Well, this morning. I thought you said you're healed. I am. The Lord said so, so I'm going to agree with Him. You can even explain it. Use it as an opportunity. Here's what, how you take a hold of the Word and make it yours. And we could by turn go around the room and take, take turn after turn and each one of us, most of us, could share stories of doing this very thing and then receiving the miracle. You know, just the thing that is impossible in the natural realm. How do you have separated ligaments be healed together overnight after two weeks of being separated and being swelled up, not being able to use that, that knee? I've experienced it. Overnight, no doctor, no doctor's surgery. But we did not let go of the Word. Made sure that what He said, I said. Made sure that I believed what He said. And I had to keep my eyes on him and not on the problem. All right, stand with me and let's, let's uh, close and dismiss to fellowship hall downstairs. Father, I thank you that you take what we learned this morning and multiply it in our hearts and in our understanding. Father, that you take the words that I, I spoke at your direction, Father, that you would bring understanding from these Scriptures, that You would open up our minds to further understand them. Lord, that You would give us that pause, that, that moment of, You probably shouldn't be saying that, should You? When we say the wrong thing. 
And Lord, that then you would quicken our understanding to know how to speak in that situation. How to speak your life into the situation. I thank you for this, Father, and in Jesus' name we pray and agree. Amen. So, Lord willing, next week we will continue in this topic, but we're going to uh, look at a lot more scripture on both the power of death and life in our words. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Church of the Word International. We're so glad each and every one of you are here today. Oh, it's good to be in the house of praise and prayer and worship. Amen? With you. With you. We're with each other. It's so exciting. You know, I've been meditating on certain things, and I praise and worship is so powerful. Uh, back in Chronicles, we know about the story uh, where they put the singers in front of the army. But in Acts 16, we are seeing the story of Paul and Silas. Now, Paul and Silas, uh, if you read it before, they were uh, <clears throat> gang, the gang, the whole multitude of people came around them. They tore their clothes off. They beat them with stripes. Now, think about this. Pretty bad, dire situation. And they threw them in prison. And the guys, the, the big guys said, listen, you watch these guys. I don't want them out. So that guy, that jailer, threw them in the inner prison. God only knows what that looked like, smelled like, was. Put stocks around their feet. Dire situation. You know, when we get into situations in our life that seem dire, what do you do? You've got a choice. Everybody say choice. You do. You know why? Because you have free will. It is your gift. Now, your soulish realm is the area in your life that you get to choose what you're going to do. And in this particular situation, Paul and Silas chose chose Acts 16 and at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God now how could they do that if they didn't have the mindset that they had an exchanged life they gave their life to the Lord the Lord gave his life to them and they belonged to the Father Jesus was right there in that situation with them they had an awareness of that. They weren't just left there, kicked to the curb, and God didn't know anything about what was happening to them. We have many scriptures that say that he knows the number of hairs on our head. God's intimately involved in, in your situations in your life all the time, present tense. He's aware of it. So when we under, get the mindset he is, I belong to him, and my father's a good and faithful father. You're going to allow your soulish realm to tie into your spirit realm, which is always praising and worshiping because it's got the Holy Spirit in there. And you're going to pull that out, and your soul now is going to manifest worship, praise, thanksgiving, singing in the spirit, glory to God. Because you're going to agree with the Holy Spirit and what God wants to do in your life, which is only good. Only good. How do we know that? Jeremiah 29. The thoughts that I think towards you are 
good. Amen. He doesn't change. He doesn't say, no, you messed up this time. So uh, uh, I, I'm not thinking that way toward you. No, your messing up does not affect God. He's not going to change his thoughts towards you. You're his. He loves you. He's for you. He's working in your behalf. See, we got to get that mindset in those kind of dire situations where we just look up the author and finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ, and start worshiping what he's going to do for us. Amen. Well, there was a suddenly. You know, everything ends. Every problem comes to a conclusion. And when you, when you come to that conclusion, look back. How was that middle ground to get there? Did you praise and worship? Did you complain or murmur? What is that? Choice. Right? Well, what, guess what? Right now, this moment, in this house, we have an opportunity to choose to praise and worship yeah. the Lord. So let's stand up and just put everything down and look up. Put your hands up and let's just worship the God that we love and thank him for who he is in our life. Hallelujah! In His goodness, He made a way of restoration, a way of bringing us back all that we'd lost, all that was lost in the Garden of Eden. He made a way for us to receive and become family with Him again. To be able to you know, the, be able to call him daddy and go to him just like we would to a daddy because he is our daddy. You know, what we deserved and what everyone else deserves is hell. We don't deserve all the blessings that he has given to us. And we could name many promises of blessing and from the greatest having eternal relationship with him to the smallest blessing that you can think of all made possible because he is good we're going to have communion here in just a moment so um Josh and Alicia, if you could come and grab one side, I'm going to have you serve this side over here, and um, uh, maybe Karen and Katie, you can come and uh, grab grab some plates and serve the side over here on this side. You know, when Jesus was on the earth, he was walking the earth in his flesh and bone body and had disciples and he knew it was building up to the moment of crucifixion and him paying the price for sin you know it's very very important because God is a just God that all sin that justice is paid for all sin You know, your entire life, every sin you've committed, justice is a requirement. It must be paid. 
And yet he paid that price so that you and I don't have to. And he knew that moment was coming as he had prepared for the Passover with the disciples. And, and if we look into Luke chapter 22, if you can just listen to me as they're passing it out. In verse 14 of Luke 22, it says, When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Then he said to them, this is Jesus' words, he said, I have fervently desired. So not just a little bit, but like intensely. He really desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, he goes, here, here, now listen up. He said, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, remember, he looked forward to it earnestly, fervently. And now he's giving thanks for it. He says, take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Paul said later in Corinthians, he said that every time you drink the cup and eat the bread, the blood and body of Jesus, he said you declare that Jesus lives by doing so. Well, Jesus went on and he said these words. He said, He said, this cup is the new covenant established by my blood. It is shed for you. And Mark, he said it this way. He says, he sh uh, it's been shed for many. For many. You and I are part of the many. And I want to point out three things to you. Number one, Jesus earnestly desired it because he saw this day. He saw the days that came before it. He saw restoration. He saw you in the family of God and he desired that even though he knew what he was going to suffer even though he knew he was going to pay the price of justice he still desired it the next thing I want you to see in this is that he gave thanks for it that he looked at it and he was grateful not grateful that he had to suffer because the scripture tells us he despised that part he was grateful for what he saw on the other side of it. Restoration, family, belonging to the Father. And the third thing I want you to see here is covenant. A covenant that is established forever. A covenant that doesn't pass away simply because you took a misstep and sinned. Covenant that remains in spite of your best efforts at destroying <laughs> And in spite of your worst efforts, let's put it that way. Covenant that remains. Amen. Family. Amen. And we know that we can forfeit our salvation. We know that we can put ourselves in a position where God can no longer reach us. But I encourage you today that today the covenant remains. And it's available for you and I to grab a hold of and say, that belongs to me. I, I believe it. I receive it. What Jesus did for me 2,000 years ago still remains and will always remain. All right, let's, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this covenant. That, I thank you, Father, that you're a good daddy, that you sent Jesus, that you made him our brother, that 
Thank you, Jesus, for being willing to come. Thank you for being willing to pay that price, for, for, for paying justice. And Father, thank you for not leaving him there to pay justice, but that you raised him from the dead. Thank you that you made him alive and he's with you and he intercedes for us and he reminds you constantly of the covenant that he made with us. Thank you that you are our Father and that in that moment of need, in the hour when we need help and we need grace, we can come to you boldly, unashamed and say, Daddy, help me please. Thank you, Lord, that you've made help available to us even today. And Father, that all sin, we just put all sin in our past under the blood of Jesus right now. And I thank you, Father, that you're, you've washed it away. You've made us as white as snow. you set us before you with your very own righteousness upon us. And that's what you see when you look at us. And I thank you for this in the mighty name of Jesus. You are very, very valuable today. The Father considers you to be as valuable as Jesus. See, what determines your value is the price that was paid for you. You go, if you ever been to an auction, what determines the value of an item? Well, what people are willing to pay for that item? Well, what the creator of this universe was willing to pay was everything. In fact, Scripture tells us that if He was willing to do that, there is nothing He would withhold from you. Then no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. Only you can remove yourself from the Father's hand. Nobody else can do that. So confidently and boldly, as we take the, as we take the uh, bread this morning, what I like to do is I like to break it because I know that it, the body of Jesus was given for my healing. So I like to just take it and break it and remember that His body was broken for me. It was bruised for me. By His stripes, I am healed. That's my current state of being. Healed. Let's take it. Thank you for the healing. Thank you for your healing and life and health that you gave to our physical, our, our mortal bodies this morning. And based on this covenant right now, I speak to every cell in every person's body this morning. And I say, be renewed in Jesus' name. Life, fill every cell in the name of Jesus on this covenant. And then he says he took that cup and, and he established the covenant that would remain forever by his blood. The blood that washes away all sin. The blood that gives us the right standing before the Father. His blood, Jesus took his blood into heaven and he, he put it on the mercy seat. And it's forever there. As a covenant for you and I. That God's mercy remains. That his, his restoration remains for you and I. Let's take it. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Daddy. Let's just thank you.
Established victory over everything. Established victory. We don't have to. We don't have to win a victory. It's already been won. It's already been put in place. We simply enforce the victory. And the way that we do that is is with our mouth. You have to speak it. You have to declare it. You have to say it. Salvation comes by your declaration. It's by victories in your mouth. Victories in your mouth. He established it. You say it. And then you get to live it. So if you're up against a problem or a giant or an enemy or a stronghold or any, any of those things, here's how you win. You take what Jesus made available to you and you say it. You believe it. You be unmoved from it. We did this uh, last Sunday. We're going to do it again. Um, I had Gene ask me if I, I would uh, anoint him with oil and pray. He's believing for healing, some things in his body. And so we're going to do that. So if you would come. And we do that based upon several scriptures. Um, the first one being that in Isaiah, He prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus was crucified and he said that by the stripes of Jesus, you are healed. And then Peter, he said after the crucifixion, looking back at that point, that that, that landmark, that history-changing event that took place, and he said by his stripes we were healed and he made it past tense because it already was happened at the cross. And so it's upon that finished work of Jesus what he did you know when Jesus hung on the cross and just as he died he he cried out with a loud voice and he said it is finished and he was talking about those things it's established and so on that authority then we can move out and do other things the scripture tells us like speak to our problem and like agree with one another in faith scripture says that whatsoever we agree on Whatsoever we bind, if two or three of us are together, if we bind something in the name of Jesus, it is bound. If we loose something, it is loosed, is what Jesus said. And so, upon that scripture alone, we could do what we're going to do this morning. And then in James is another example. And it says, is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church and they should pray over him after anointing him with olive oil in the name of the Lord. And then it gives this promise. It says the prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will, I mean this is like just such strong language, the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, 
confess your sins to one another, pray for one another so that you may be healed. The intense prayer of the righteous is very powerful. And we, we also have scripture in Mark that says that these signs are going to follow those that believe. They're going to lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Again, extremely strong language. And so we don't look at each other as the miracle worker. We look at Jesus as the miracle worker. We just obey what He said and let Him work out the other side of it. Because He did it already. You understand? He already did it. It's already worked out. So faith is the vehicle that brings from the unseen realm into the seen realm in obedience and acting upon His Word. So that's why Gene says, hey, would you, would you anoint me with oil and pray for me? And so any believer here can lay hands on someone and pray and follow Mark 16. Or you could, any, any of you, gather two of you together and say, there's three of us, we're going to agree and bind this thing. And loose life and hell. Or he could call for the elders and the elders come and anoint him with oil and lay hands on him. And, and so there's multiple ways that you get to win. That you get to win, right? So Gene, I anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the, all the finished work that he provided for you. Castor, come. The two oldest Freedy boys, come. So, as believers, I want you to lay hands on Gene. And just follow what it says in Mark 16. There's two or three of us here, right? So we just bind up pain in the name of Jesus Christ and we don't permit you to operate anymore in Gene's body like you've been. Inflammation, I bind you up. Any degeneration, any loss of agility, I bind you. And Father, we just loose your healing power right now into your back. Every bone, every ligament, you be strong, you be healthy. You be like God created you to be. The proper space between every every joint. Be healed in the name of Jesus. I thank you for it, Lord. I thank you, Father, for your healing power. I thank you, Lord, that you renew every cell. I thank you, Lord. Alright, you young men of God, do we agree? Pain bound, inflammation's bound. I like that. 
you young man of God and Gene says yes. Yes. Renewed. All right. Heal in Jesus' name. Bless you. All right, before we send uh, the children to their different places, I'd like to have uh, two people share a testimony of the goodness of God in your life, of something the Lord did for you. So just come up. Let's have two people come up here, and um, you tell us what the good thing God has done for you. God saved me, man. I was on I was on the wrong road. I was with the wrong people. And I was living for myself and living for the world. And I forgot what, what love he really had for me. And um it took the worst time of my life and the worst situation I was ever in to make me to make me see that I couldn't do anything without him. So I called for him and uh he showed up. And, and uh, he's been showing off ever since. He, he just shows up for everything. I ask him something, and the questions get answered instantly. And I got all these all these people that I never met in my life loving on me and and showing me showing me that he was always there. So it's like I just am so thankful because I don't know where I would be if I haven't if I hadn't turned to him. And I felt like I was so lost, and now it doesn't matter where I am. I always feel safe and secure and free because I know that I have somebody that loves me more than any love could ever be given in the world. So I just want to say thank you to everybody and thank you to him yes. most high because he saved me and showed me that no matter what, I'm always good enough. So, Amen. Amen. Thank you. On Thursday, uh, I took my team from work down to a conference in North Carolina, and we were driving through some extremely heavy rain, some extremely heavy rain, uh, tornado warnings, uh, and all of our phones started going off with tornado warnings, and and uh, the the van just started filling up with conversation about this storm, and and a whole bunch of cars were pulled over, and and they're just talking about these warnings, and I said. We serve a God that's bigger than these storms. And silence hit our van, and not another word was spoken. Not another word of defeat or fear was spoken. And, and we made it safely there, obviously, but, uh, but just the power of the spoken word. Our God is bigger than any storm. Amen. Amen. Good morning and welcome to CWI. Before you get too cozy in your chairs, I'm just going to warn you, we're going to give you opportunity to share again. So um, how many know that the word is true and it works when we work it? So who's ready to share a testimony of how God has been true in your life concerning the tithe, concerning maybe your giving, how he's provided for you? Two people. Anybody here? God, okay, we got one. Okay, so um, 
Yeah, we know the promises of the tithe and God taking care of you, you know, the things that uh, providing for you and all. So we have behind our house, we have a covered porch and, and, and a deck. And we're going to close the, the porch to make a dining room because our kitchen and dining room is one small room and it's really crowded. We don't have much uh, space for to host people and stuff. So we were going to do that, but we didn't have... We didn't have uh, any extra finances or anything set aside to redo the deck. And then just, just this week at work, um, there was a project that we were doing where the decking was like three different shades a little bit. And they were trying to finish it up but couldn't find enough material to, to match exactly what they were doing. So then they took everything up that they already put down and put everything new product down. And the supplier said that they don't want it back. That we can just keep it. So, <laughs> so I got a new deck. So praise the Lord. Yeah. All right, who's next? What has God done for you? How has He provided for you supernaturally? Or maybe it's just the word works when you sow. Anyone have something like that they want to share? All right, I'll share. <laughs> I'm going to tell my boys. Um, when they were little, uh, we had some visitors from Liberia in our house. And I don't know, we had them for supper. And our boys loved matchbox cars. They had lots and lots of these matchbox cars. And, you know, we've taught them from little up, once we got the revelation on this, we've taught them about giving. We've taught them, <clears throat> taught them about as you sow, you reap. And when you give to the Lord, you know, he sees that, and as you sow, you reap. So these, these visitors were here, and we finished up our dinner, and they were getting ready to go, and here come the boys with their hands full of these little matchbox cars. <laughs> and they just wanted to give them to these guys to take back to the children in Liberia. And it's like all their precious, like, they, I mean, they lined these things up in rows all the ways across the living room. Like, this was their deal. And they gave these cars away. Now, I'm here to tell you, these boys have reaped cars over the next probably, what, eight years? I mean, they're kind of getting old for matchbox cars now, but <laughs> they reaped cars. I mean, through the years, somebody would get, oh, here's a gift, and it's matchbox cars. Or maybe it would be a bigger type of car, but over and over, the word worked for them that as they sowed, they reaped. And... Uh, yeah, may I just say, a lot more than what they actually sowed. I mean, like I said, it went over years, you know, repeatedly. They're, somebody had it in their heart to just, here's a box of cars, you know. And so the word works when we work it, work it. Aren't you grateful for that, that you're not on your own? That when you plug into, into partner with the Lord and you, and you believe him and take him at his word, that you're not on your own. You've got supernatural help. All right? So let's take a hold of our tithe and our offering and let's pray over it. Return it to the Lord. <clears throat> Father, we are so grateful to you for your faithfulness to keep your word. That we have your word. That we can rely on you. That you are solid and faithful. And we just thank you that every need in this house is met. We thank you that the tithers are blessed in this house. And we thank you, Father, that you're faithful and true when you say that as you sow, you shall reap, that it is so. And we just give you all the glory in the name of Jesus. And amen. amen. And the ushers can pass the baskets. Thank you. So in case you were not with us last Sunday, um, all those who arrived early 
went home with <clears throat> free t-shirts. Um, a new t-shirt that we had. Yeah, some of them have, have them on. And um, if you, uh, here's how to get one if you have not gotten one yet. Arrive to a service early. Early enough that you can come and be in here when it starts. That's when you're on time. And, um, and then after the service, ask for one. Say, I was here on time, can I have a t-shirt? And downstairs in the basement, we have one, and, uh, or more than one, but they're on a table down there so you can choose. And, and um, So if you were here on time, be sure to pick one up. If you were not here on time, Patty's off. Um, show up next week and get one. How about that? On time. So what's all this, a gimmick just to get us to show up on time? We believe in blessing and rewarding good behavior, right? But just so you know, this is not a behavior modification house. This is a life-changing, earth-shaking, devil-chasing, God-revealing house. <laughs> 